usher in a great rebalancing of power with wealth, security and opportunity spread across our whole country. Because they say that you can power a modern economy using only a handful of people in a handful of places in one small corner of the country. We say that's like trying to fly a jet on one engine. This country doesn't belong to a few of them. It belongs to all of us. Lisa Nandy at the Labour Party conference this week that took place against a backdrop of a tumultuous week for the economy in light of the government's mini-budget and barely a mention for levelling up and the North. So, is levelling up really dead? This is the Manchester Weekly from the mill. Hello there and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and the Mill's editor, Yoshi Herman. Hello, Yoshi. Hello. Hello from the newsroom. Nice to be back, by the way. Absent for the last couple of weeks. I've missed you, Yoshi. Yeah, we've missed having you. We've tried to muddle through. Listeners have had to put up with some fairly shoddy DIY uh, production on our end, but some brilliant editing and production on Rafaro's end. So actually, I think it's been okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, that will have led to the uh, the petition I saw flying around to keep me off. Uh, there's a petition for everything these days, including keep Daryl off the mill podcast. <laughs> I saw flying it was weird, around. actually. When I got back from um, holiday... Some of the numbers were looking really, really good, even though I'd been off for two weeks. And one person had even written in a comment under one of Sophie's pieces, Yoshi should take time off more often. <laughs> and, and Sophie hadn't even um, hadn't even sort of corrected him. She had just thanked him for his, his lovely comments. So, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Lovely. Yeah. Maybe we should take the hint here, mate. We should take the hint. Okay, let's say uh, we've got lots to get through this week. So let's dive into uh, this week's news. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about this foreign investment in the North. There's lots of, uh, economics flying around this week isn't there uh, oh boy has it been a turbulent week for the economy some of that leads into foreign investment in britain but there's a really interesting headline specifically about foreign investment in the north this week for us to get our teeth into first let's start with the labor party conference shall we yoshi they've been in fairly buoyant mood the labor party this week their conference in liverpool coming on the back of that tumultuous um uh, start for Liz trust the tumultuous economy and some pretty strong polling for them yoshi you sent the, the Mills Jack Walton to the conference uh, what has he seen yeah I mean I spoke to Jack yesterday about about his experience of the conference and you know, it, he basically gave me the impression that Labour are as jubilant as they've been for a very long time I mean if you think back a couple of years or let's think back to the 2019 election it was really felt that Labour had done so badly that not only were they out of power for another four years they were probably out of power for at least eight years because some of these seats would be hard to win back on the first go they'd fallen far behind in some places and there was a lot of pessimism and there were books saying that Labour was sort of in real trouble structurally in the North, not just in terms of like one or two elections, but like there were massive realignments happening away from the kind of alignments that had benefited Labour in the past. It really feels like a lot of that has changed. I mean, Labour seem jubilant, they're miles ahead in the polls. They've met in Liverpool in a week when the pound is crashing. The new Tory government is under huge pressure. Jack Walton described it, the Labour's conference this week as confident, corporate and slick. 
which I think is is roughly how it's looked on TV. Um, and he also made a point of saying that the left at the conference, you know, the, the, the proper left, have been pretty marginalised in Liverpool. Their, their motions haven't been made it to the floor. Their campaigning has really felt like it's right on the margins of the conference. So Keir Starmer is sort of, or Serco Starmer is in control of this Labour Party. I think that's the, that's the impression you get from this conference. And it was interesting, actually, because on Tuesday night, Starmer's main speech was not the lead item on BBC News. And, and, and as you know, that's that's generally a bit of a disaster if you're the opposition and you're not first on the news, because that means, you know, party conferences are the one time in the year where oppositions can be guaranteed to have good media coverage and not just coverage about something that they've done wrong, but actually their messages. But that normally that would be a kind of a, a, an issue. But in this case, the first stories on the news were uh, soaring mortgage rates and a letter from the IMF expressing these concerns in this withering letter about um, the government's mini budget. So I don't think Labour will be complaining about either of those items. And then it was, you know, it was Starmer. So, yeah, they've, they've clearly had a really, really good week. And from a Manchester perspective, as a sort of a side note, it's been interesting to see Gary Neville sort of both raising his political profile by doing these, having these various appearances at the conference and not just talking about football but talking about broader pol- political themes but he was also sort of distancing himself from rumours that he'll run for gra- mayor of Greater Manchester or, or be an MP or, or anything like that so um, I don't know maybe we should get Gary Neville on at some point and ask him directly ourselves yeah let's definitely do that let's bid for that immediately levelling up Yoshi we can't get too far into this conversation without talking about levelling up and the North Lisa Nandi we heard from her a little bit earlier on on the podcast Yoshi was obviously at conference she is technically the shadow levelling up secretary what did she have to say for herself I thought there was an interesting thing she said which is that she revealed in a Guardian interview that Labour is now working with Andy Haldane he's the former um, Bank of England economist and he had actually been working for Michael Gove on levelling up plans previously so Labour is basically saying let us do this this levelling up agenda we will do it properly Nandi says she's sort of confident Labour can win back its northern seats which they lost at the last election she would actually be a great one for us to talk to because some a big question I have for, 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 for her and for other Labour people is what will you practically do that's different to the levelling up white paper or Michael Gove's plans or, or the things that Boris was proposing clearly Labour is positioning itself as more serious about this agenda but will they give more powers and more funding to Greater Manchester and to the West Midlands and to to other um, combined authorities. Which powers will they actually give? Let's try and get some specifics. Which funding packages will they hand over? If they thought the levelling up fund, these little pots of money being given out, you know, 20 million here, 50 million there was unsatisfactory and wasn't strategic enough, as clearly was the case, is the case, what will Labour actually do differently? I think there should be a little bit more uh, scrutiny of, of of, of what Lisa Nandy is actually offering the North when it comes to these things. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get her on, Daryl. Yeah, absolutely, quite right. And um, it'd be also be very interesting as well, wouldn't it? I think to see whether you know Liz Truss hasn't and, and Kwasi Kwarteng haven't said the word levelling up. I don't think I don't think I've heard her say the word levelling up uh, in the last during the leadership campaign, and certainly not since she became prime minister. And whether that issue, just by the very nature of it not being mentioned from the top, starts to slip down the agenda a little bit. Whether that opens a door or closes a door 
door for the Labour Party. It'll be interesting to see in the sort of rhythm of the way these um, these these things tend to play out in politics. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Elsewhere, obviously, linking very heavily to that, Yoshi, uh, a tumultuous week in the economy. Uh, we've heard a lot this week about uh, guilt, about interest rates, about the about sterling against the dollar, and all of these things affect investment and foreign investment into the United Kingdom. Uh, we've talked on the podcast before, haven't we, Yoshi, and uh, in the mill about Chinese money in Manchester, the opportunities that offer and the conflicts that it creates. Uh, This week, the Northern Powerhouse Partnership has released a really interesting report about foreign investment in the North, specifically in the North. What did it say, Yoshi? Yeah, this would seem to be a bit of a bright spot, actually. But new figures show that foreign direct investment has grown in the North while shrinking in the rest of the country. So FDI, as it's known has risen 72% in the North in the past five years, and it actually dropped for the rest of the UK. And that would seem to indicate that the sort of lobbying and schmoozing around the world that the the Northern Powerhouse Partnership does has managed to encourage more companies to come here, um, that that strategy is paying off. There was an interesting quote in the FT from Lord Jim O'Neill, who's an ex-Treasury minister um, and who's been a very big voice in the levelling up and, and in the Northern Powerhouse conversations for the past few years. He said, quote, I often felt that the Northern Powerhouse concept was better understood by investors in Asia than it was among politicians and financiers in London. As you said just now, you don't hear ministers in this newly formed government talking about the Northern Powerhouse. You don't hear them much talking about levelling up. And it basically means, if it, you know, if, if we're just sort of going to level level with ourselves, it basically means that there is no serious effort underway to narrow regional gaps in this country. You know, we've had a little bit of devolution. We've had these small pots of money. But if you think of the kind of investment that is required to bridge the gap between East Germany and West Germany, for example, the UK is not committing to anywhere near that sort of um, ambition to close these enormous regional gaps we've got. And in, you know, in that vacuum, um, you know, you do have foreign investors who seem to be taking the North and its cities and their growth, you know, stories more seriously and believing in that growth vision. And it, it makes you wonder why Whitehall can't. It reminded me of that Diane Coyle interview we did when she came on this podcast recently. I think it was one of our best um, interviews. And she had that line that Treasury civil servants can add up, but they can't multiply. You know, they can't seem to see the sort of non-linear opportunity for growth and prosperity that would come by unlocking you know growth in in towns and cities up here by throwing some serious cash at the problem and you know if if people haven't heard that episode they should go back to it because that was a very clear-eyed analysis of how little this government and previous governments have done to close these regional gaps and what would actually be required to do so. It was excellent. And again, I was absent from it. So point proven. Uh, that's back in your podcast feed. Just go search it out. You, you went to a dinner this week as well, didn't you, Yoshi, with some local leaders and, and big wigs. Uh, Chatham House rules mean that you, you can't give us direct quotes, but you can give us a bit of a sense of uh, what you were hearing about investment in, in the North. What did you hear? 
Yeah, the sense I got from this sort of private roundtable, which included council leaders, policymakers, business figures, is that privately they have realised central government isn't going to make the kind of ambitious investments that northern towns and cities need. These people are not expecting there to be the kind of ambition that's actually required. I think they know that. They still bid for this and they bid for that. They bid for this growth zone and they bid for that investment. The sad thing about how centralized this this country is, is that it means that local leaders, council leaders, council chief executives, you know, mayors of, of, of combined authorities, they are all so reliant on central government for money that they constantly have to jump through whatever hoops the latest government are creating to get cash. They just don't have the grounding. They don't have the sort of constitutional security to really speak up about the things they want to speak up about and to decide their own destiny. So it's constantly sort of, can we get this bit of cash? Can we get that that, that bit of cash? You know, at the same time, I got the sense that they are really trying to work out how to unleash greater innovation in, in, in this region and, and across the north so that the benefits of growth can spread and aren't limited to a, you know, a small cadre of university graduates, middle class workers coming in from outside. I think we'll hear more about that idea of inclusive growth and hopefully more seriousness about why cities that are adding lots of jobs and growing in size and attracting people from around the world, why they haven't so far made a discernible dent in the in the deprivation numbers. That's, I think, the big riddle of places like Manchester, but also other northern cities. You're growing. You've had major revivals since the 1980s. There are some major success stories. And yet you've still got very similar poverty stats when you look at the national rankings. I think that should be more of the conversation. And I did get the sense from, from going to this event that there, there's more discussion about that problem and how to solve it privately than, than there is in public, which I think is a problem. I think more of it should happen in public. Okay. Uh, speaking about deprivation, Yoshi, there's been a really stark warning this week, hasn't there, about worsening homelessness in Salford, particularly stark as we head into the winter as well, I guess. Um, this is a story that Mill has reported on quite a lot recently. Uh, what have we heard in the last couple of days? Yeah, Salford is expecting a, quote, tidal wave of homelessness in the coming months as people struggle to cope with the rising cost of living. This is Salford's head of supported housing, Rachel Connolly, um, and I quote her, the funding position is going to get worse and worse, that people are not going to be able to afford their rent. We have compassionate workforce who take into account family situations. So her argument is that we already have a lot of people in temporary accommodation. That's risen 238% in four years in Salford. And now we're sort of bracing for, for a real a real increase in that number. It's a little bit speculative, I guess, because we actually don't know how this particular economic crisis will translate into homelessness. Just like with every time the economy goes into either recession or some sort of issue, you actually don't know exactly how that will play out for people on different income streams. But it's fair to assume that pressure on these homelessness departments in the councils is going to go up a lot. I mean, listeners might have heard our recent episode about the homelessness crisis in Manchester. And during that investigation, we did look at Salford's figures. They're much, much lower than Manchester's on a per head basis when it comes to people in temporary accommodation. You, you know, you've seen that graph of Manchester's number taking off and, and, and all the other greater Manchester numbers staying quite low. But we didn't do any sustained reporting in Salford. So I don't want to speculate too much about you know, what their situation is. But clearly, 
in every borough in, in Greater Manchester, there is a, a lot of concern about these coming months. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously keep reporting on it because it's one of our big stories this year. Really, really worth reading that piece on the homelessness data. Manchestermill.co.uk is where you subscribe if you really want to understand that story. Okay, and a couple of quick hits as well this week, uh, Yoshi. We'll start with another story that the mill has followed. Uh, Greater Manchester Police now saying that they've opened a criminal investigation into Greater Manchester Mental Health Trust after a BBC documentary uncovered some cases of toxic and abusive behaviour. Yeah, Panorama has found really dreadful treatment of patients at the Edenfield Centre in Presswich, which is a mental health hospital that houses 150 patients. Operating undercover, it looks like a reporter saw staff taunting and mocking patients, saw patients being restrained unnecessarily. Uh, they saw 10 patients being held in, in, in small seclusion rooms for days, weeks, even months with only short breaks. And when actually these rooms are supposed to be for really short term isolation. Uh, so people should go and watch that panorama. Quite. Uh, also, some really sad news as well since our last episode. The writer, Hilary Mantle, has died at the age of 70. Uh, this was a real shock, actually. A really wonderful writer, uh, but somebody who also had really strong roots in Greater Manchester. Yeah, Mantle was born in Glossop. Um, she grew up in the High Peak and she also grew up in Cheshire for a while. Um, she wrote about both of those things at length, actually. She's best known for a series of books about Thomas Cromwell. I was actually uh, reading Wolf Fall on the Train the other day just because it's one of those things I've always thought oh, I'd like to get around to reading it, but I haven't yet. And, and now I'm actually reading it. And it is really interesting and sort of innovative in the way it writes. It's, it's historical fiction, but it just feels very different to other historical fiction that I've done. I think she's kind of credited by critics with reviving the art of sort of literary historical fiction. And that, that's really what it is. It's amazingly, amazingly done. Um, for the part, first part of her childhood, she grew up in Hadfield. And she is described in one profile of Mantel. I thought this is a, a funny description. I think it might have been in The New Yorker as quote, not a pretty village, but a bleak, dank, cold northern village on the edge of the moors. It's people, quote, distrustful and life-refusing, um, close quote. That was Mantel's quote. So uh, uh, that's, that's a great piece of The New Yorker, well worth having a look at. Oh, very good, very, very good. Um, and, oh, this is a story I've very much had my eye on, uh, Yoshi, because the, uh, Lowry's going to the match, that famous painting is on my bedroom wall. Because I live in Salford. I'm a fan of both Lowry and Bolton Wanderers, whose ground is the subject of that painting. And I'm probably I'm a couple of million quid away from being uh, from having the chance of being able to earn it at the actual original, because controversially, it's on sale by the owners of the Professional Footballers Association. Uh, this week, Salford's Mayor Paul Dennett has been in, has got involved in this story, hasn't he? Yoshi, what's happened? Yeah, you're actually six million away. No, eight million away. I think it's it's it's, it's got a valuation at Christie's of eight million. Salford's Mayor Paul Dennett has effectively appealed to the local football community to stump up the cash to keep it on display because there is a fear that if it goes into private hands it won't be um, it won't be on display anymore for the public and it is one of his most famous paintings and yeah it would be a I think it's be a great shame to, to lose it from the, from the city yeah agreed uh, unless it's coming onto my bedroom wall uh, in all of its real glory in which case fine absolutely um, alright let's have a look ahead Yoshi uh, what's going on in the next uh, week or so we should be keeping an eye on 
it's this piece about this man whose funeral Danny went to. He died, a, you know, a lonely death. He didn't have any relatives at his funeral. He didn't have any friends at his funeral, but Danny was at his funeral. And I know I've mentioned this story before, but it's, just, it's a really, really beautiful story. And it's being published on Saturday. And that's been the focus, you know, thinking about that story for the past couple of days. Um, Danny's making the final tweaks to it. It's going to publish on Saturday. Lovely. Okay, because she, she did make a remarkable discovery about this guy, didn't she? And so lots of sort of moral conflicts involved in that. Really, really looking forward to speaking to Danny for that. Sunday, the episode. Saturday, the piece on the mill. What's going on this weekend, Yoshi? We'll give, we always give some nods for some things to do in and around Greater Manchester for the weekend. What have you got your eye on on that front? Well, actually, I mean, this is maybe slightly old news, given that we did an episode on it last week. But I'm going to be going to the Mayfield Park for the first time um, on Saturday. And I thought Danny's episode from Mayfield Park last weekend was was really nice not to make this sort of a Danny show at the end of the episode but that just very short thing where she went and I think she spoke to Phil Griffin who writes for us and she spoke to one of the designers behind it if you missed out last Sunday's episode it just it was it was nice to kind of hear from some of the people behind the park but also sort of hear the sounds of a new park although one of the sounds of the new park is is massive of cars rushing past (laughs) it's one of the downsides of of that location right next to the Mancunian way so I'm going to be going there and then I'm going to be watching uh, the the United City Derby on uh, on Sunday. No, no, sounds like a very good weekend, a very, very good weekend. Um, I've got my eye on uh, Saturday, a George Mayer Martin mural tour. Uh, I don't, if you don't know this guy, he was a visionary Hungarian Jewish artist. He fled the Nazis. He created a beautiful mural, the Crucifixion, inside Holy Rosary Church in Oldham. So that's really worth checking out if you get the chance. Uh, there'll be a preview of an exhibition as well by Vanessa Scott of the Granada Foundation Gallery. She is an artist who created the UK's tallest mural and does some really great sort of color colourful pieces as well you've probably heard of her Human Nature is the exhibition it considers what the world of fungi can teach us about being human it's really brilliant I'd also recommend a really great documentary on Netflix about fungi as well this beautiful complicated part of the ecosystem that often gets sort of overlooked is um, actually is very profound to be honest Uh, that starts at 6pm anyway over the weekend so really worth getting stuck into Um, okay that's it from us for this week so don't forget to like and subscribe to this and there is more news and deep dives into fascinating stories from around our city in the mill in your email inbox when you need it manchestermill.co.uk is where you go for that for now yoshi thank you thanks very much catch you next week